Hello and welcome to episode 8 of VSoup. Some say the VMware Stig won't go to bed until he listens to it. All we know is we're joined by Jonathan Med. Jonathan's no stranger to podcasts, being the host of the Get Scripting show. If you like what you hear later, get over to getscripting.blogspot.com. Hi Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hi there, thanks for the intro and uh, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm a fan of your show, so it, it's great to come and join you guys and, and talk some VMware stuff. Fantastic, it's, it's been a while, but we've uh, we've had a few sort of logistical nightmares, but uh, we should be uh, making up with that uh, fairly shortly and obviously by having yourself on the show. Um, so, apparently, getting straight into the gratuitous plug, you've written a book. Uh, yeah, this is like uh, turning up on Michael Parkinson or something, <laughs> isn't it? People show up on uh, chat shows when they have something to to promote. But anyway, um, hopefully we can have a, a good chat about automation tonight. But yes, recently, um, myself and four other guys you may know, uh, Mr. Alan Renouf, Luke Deakins... Arnim Van Lieshout and Glenn Sizemore. We've, um, since April last year, would you believe it? That's how long these things take to, uh, to come out. We've been working on a book for Power CLI and we're very pleased that that came out at the end of March and, uh, we've been getting some nice feedback on that already. So, uh, it's been an interesting experience. Um, so how long did the book take you to, uh, to write? Yeah, um, there's a little bit of a story there. I'll keep it short, but um, I think originally Alan was approached by Cybex, the publisher, to um, write a, a, the book on Power CLI. And, and given um, the size of book they were planning, he wrote in Luke Dickens, who everyone knows, and the two of them started off on the book in about April last year. And um, around that time, you might know that Alan left he, I was actually working with him at the time and he left to join EMC and became this international jet set superstar traveling the world and um, the time he had for for writing the book sort of drastically shrunk and um, to cut a long story short they um, were struggling a bit with some of their their deadlines so they uh, wrote in a few extra of us um, to help them out and uh, we pretty much finished it around sort of late November time and uh, since then even then from no end of November it took t you know the amount of uh, reviews and stuff these kind of processes go through is, is quite an eye-opener um, you get your text back quite regularly a bit like being back at school with please see me read all the way down changing your you know changing stuff and it's all reviewed and the scripts there's um absolute ton of example scripts in there were all reviewed so that takes a, a lot of time but uh, to get together but it, it's out now so we've uh, we're very lucky to have some really great people at cybex helping us and we also had um Stu radnich mr v internals you probably know him was our technical editor so um, nothing got past him he tested absolutely all of our scripts sent them back when uh, when uh, he managed to break them for us and so you know a real challenge but a great experience to uh, to write about a topic that we're all really passionate about and uh, we hope that people will enjoy reading it and get a lot of useful examples out of it and encourage them to automate their environments.
Oh, cool. So I, I guess, you know, uh, with um, Stu having proofread it, um, have you checked to make sure he's not surreptitiously put any swear words in it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably the only uh, editor who um, would be adding stuff in there rather than taking it out. <laughs> yeah, removing all of your stars and replacing them with four, other four-letter words. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think they got removed from the final edit, so it, it's a good family clean book. Add some extra thing in on the pipe, uh, the pipe commands in PowerShell. Pipe, uh, bleep, (laughs) pipe. Well, we we wouldn't want a PowerCLI book that the whole family couldn't enjoy. So that that makes a lot of sense to edit that out. No, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) My entire family will read a PowerCLI book. Yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't want to to put off the kids, would we, (laughs) say? Yeah, so um, I, I hear uh, Alan is uh, back back and forth uh, in form on his uh, sort of power CLI thing, having hopefully put down his passport a little bit, um, and appears to have been uh, taken on by VMware. Yes, um, he's got had some good news recently. Um, he's announced he's joining VMware in their technical marketing team so i shall be buying him a a scarf to wear all year round as marketing people do and um yes i think he's really excited about that i I don't know all the details but i I believe it's is the the scarf is the scarf in marketing like a uk thing (laughs) must be (laughs) alan needs a beret as well doesn't he (laughs) i think he already has a beret Alan yeah. Renu, I believe it is the proper <laughs> pronunciation of his name. Yeah, I think so. I think it depends which country you're in at the time. <laughs> He's going to kill us for this. <laughs> no, I think it's brilliant. I mean, is that, is that the same team that uh, Duncan Epping's gone to? Is he sort of technical marketing now? Yes, I believe it is the same team and... Uh, yeah, that's the team he's joining. So I think he's really looking forward to that. You know, I'm able to write about the topic he's he's most interested in, and you know, go and support user groups and events around places, that kind of thing. So I think he's really looking forward to it. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, for you know, um, us sort of people, you know, guys that blog and, and podcast and uh, get involved in the community, it's almost like a dream job. You're being paid to do what you'd be doing otherwise in your spare time. Um, and it, it's the bits of the job that you enjoy, um, and and hopefully it's not going to be like the the hobby mechanic who suddenly decides I'm going to open my own garage, and that he, he's doing so much PowerShell that it, it t- starts to take the fun out of it. But uh, I'm sure it won't. Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of things to keep him fresh. Way to put a negative spin on it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just pissed on your bonfire there, Alan. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you look at, um, obviously, Duncan's in that team, and if you look at his the amount of uh, his own content and books he still manages to put out himself, uh, doesn't seem to have done any harm there, so. No, no, I think, if anything, it's enhanced it both ways, so uh, we shall we shall be keeping fingers crossed on it. Yeah, um, so um, you guys, do you, are we using PowerCL, PowerShell, PowerCLI, or are you just getting into it to use it in your workplace? I've 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 always sort of resisted um, development as much as possible, and uh, I you know I, I did dabble for a few years as a SQL DBA and kind of got hooked into the whole transact thing. Um, 
and I, I flirted with with development, and then decided it was a bad idea to flirt with. Uh, so I have I have resisted it for as long as I could. Um, not because I, I don't particularly like it, it's because I, I think I, I don't have the patience for it. Um, and PowerShell, I don't know, as a as a development environment, I suppose it is a little bit easier, but it does take a bit of a leap of faith, faith into going into something that's object orientated, where you've never been used to object orientated languages previously. Um, but you know that said, I think it is very powerful. And once you've grasped those basic con concepts, there is uh, the world is very much your oyster on it. In in my experiences with it, I I create I spend some time creating some um, some scripts, or I uh, I read I, I pull some from other people, and I have maybe a set of maybe ten regular scripts that I use in my everyday business uh, i don't i don't find myself programming in it all the time maybe maybe because i'm i've always been a systems guy and i, I suck at coding but we we use it a lot I, I i mean i don't i don't spend a lot of time using uh power cli or developing for it but as soon as you need to do something uh more than once uh particularly if you are setting up automated automation stuff it's it's really fun to play with because you can get a lot of a lot of results uh really quickly uh as i've mentioned before on the show i've done a, a, a automated setup of esxi hosts uh destined for the vessels i manage and that that makes a lot of sense uh and then it, it also helps me automate every Part of the uh, the installation in, in regards to getting everything set up correctly the first time and and being the same setup every time. So it, it's a real time saver if you if you have a project like that you need to make sure everything's uh, on the same level. Yeah. So GUIs are, are obviously great. Um, they're great, but they don't tend to typically lend themselves to bulk administration. So while you know the vSphere client's brilliant for creating in one new virtual machine, you don't really want to use it to create a hundred or a thousand virtual machines. So yeah, it's it's great for that sort of automation of uh, you know, repetitive tasks. And I think um, it's not necessarily my best choice of tool to use to achieve any one given operation. But it, you know, it's there in, in the the arsenal of things to try. Uh, you know, when you've got to achieve a given, you know, a given state, particularly if it's around repetition, um, it seems there's a bit of a debate between the guys that do Orchestrator and the guys that do PowerShell. And the PowerShell guys are basically the same. Well, actually, anything you can do in Orchestrator, you can probably do in PowerShell. It just looks prettier in Orchestrator. And I don't know whether that's going to be the same with Microsoft's Apartless, is you know, which, which seems to be a direct um, sort of facsimile. Uh, you know, it's it's at the same level as uh, where Orchestrator is. Although I think they've, it's got a funny name. Scorch, I think, is the the official Microsoft term for it now. System Center Orchestrator. Um, you know, is it just going to be a nice way of tagging a PowerShell script to a workflow? Um, which just seems to be the only sort of advantage that it's got in that you know that workflow-based engine, rather than you know having to write your own workflow. Uh, I'm going to make a leap here about Orchestrator. 
Um, they they started giving it away. I don't I don't personally think it's going to last very long. Just my personal thoughts. Anybody else? Well, I suppose all, all structure is a product. Can't, I mean that grew from life life cycle manager was the orchestrator engine with some pre-built workflows on top of it yeah it was it was a purchased um, uh, actually a swiss company i forget the name oh they, I, I remember having some discussions with a vmware product manager at vmworld 2000 and ooh is it 2009 or 2008 i think it might have been 2009 uh, around Orchestrator, which you know they were just kind of launching as a product, and they didn't really have any costs behind it. Um, and I got given a, a product demo of it, and it looked very clever. But it, at the time, appeared you needed to know Java. You need to, yeah, the actual underlying code from a workflow to execute anything in the environment. Use the um, sort of the Java API. And I, I believe that still kind of remains. I, I, I thought they'd kind of, mar not masked over it, but they'd pre-written a lot of code. There was a lot more out of the box. But I guess if what you want isn't in that box, then you're kind of stuffed. Which is why why I personally think for guys guys like us, PowerCLI is more of an option. Yeah. But then um, it, it seems that a lot of GUIs, um, John, Jonathan said earlier that GUIs are a great way to get one thing done. Uh, things like the Exchange GUI and I believe the Machine Manager GUI essentially are just a graphical way of building a PowerShell script in that you, um, every time you do an operation, just before you commit that operation, it shows you the script that it's trying to run, which means it's great for repeatable things, but it means the GUI is useless because it's really slow. Um, so I don't know if that helps as much. Yeah, I think... Um People tend to get attached to their tools of choice and can often get quite uh, passionate about which tool they use. And at, at the end of the day, with um, even with vSphere, there's different um, you know command line utilities you can use. They're all using the same API at the end of the day, so it doesn't really matter what you use. And and the fact there is a choice is um, you know probably better than you know being forced to use. Um, a particular tool. Yeah, I, I guess that, you know to, to take a a V Sensei uh, saying there are many routes up the mountain, but they all have the same view at the top. Um. So Microsoft recently did some licensing changes for the uh, the actual PowerShell language, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. Um, you might have seen uh, at the minute there's a PowerShell conference going on over in Las Vegas, first ever. PowerShell conference, which um, a large section of the PowerShell development team have organized and turned up at, and various people from the community have gone to. And pretty much out of the blue, they came out with this announcement yesterday that um, they were licensing PowerShell under what they call the Community Promise program, which um, translated basically means that uh, previously there's been some projects to try and uh, come up with a, a version of PowerShell that will run on other operating systems and those projects hit various obstacles some of which were they were at risk of violating some Microsoft held patents re regarding um, PowerShell um, 
they've now licensed this so that it would be possible to run uh, an implementation of PowerShell on other OSs and they've provided a big ch chunky 300 page language specification document which um, would help you do that so um, kind of an interesting move um, whether anyone will pick up on it we shall see so meaning other OS's like like Linux, Mac OS, whatever? Yeah, sure. So PowerShell itself is already extensible, so you've probably seen other third parties like VMware, like Quest, um, like some of the hardware vendors at EMC, NetApp, have um, developed their own snappings and modules to PowerShell on Windows. What this would allow someone to do would be to uh, run PowerShell on uh, Linux or on a Mac or something like that. So... Um, we'll see if someone picks that up. Okay, so what Microsoft is saying is that here's the uh, the language specification. If you want to create something that runs on a different OS than than Windows, feel free to do so. Uh, but they won't actually contribute in developing it for other operating systems. They just allow other people to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and. Um, I think one of the things the PowerShell team talk about a lot is they concentrate on the things that they can do that nobody else can do. So, you know, they can make it run 10 times faster or, or something, but there's um, something like this. They could do it, but it would be the at, obviously at the expense of, you know, other probably more high priority things they would want to do with the language. Um, the advantage of, of this is that you know anyone can go do this now potentially. That's interesting. So, does that really herald? Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I remember speaking to someone about PowerShell when it first came out, and they seemed quite adamant that PowerShell wasn't a la wasn't a programming language; it was a scripting language. Um, so, does this make it? I don't know more a more legitimate language as such, or? Yeah, um, possibly. I think what you see with a lot of languages is that they have developed over a long period of time, and PowerShell, relatively speaking, is still very new. You know, it only came out in 2006, and compared yeah. to other languages, Compare it's it still... Compare it it's still in nappies, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it takes time for language to mature and adoption to you know increase and the the other thing people um um also get a bit confused with or can do is you know is it a command line utility or is it a language and you know it's both yeah it's perhaps you know when it's running in in linux it'll be you know it's, it's a slightly different you know view that you'll actually see it as as one rather than the other um so this sort of duality or, you know, the, the questions around this duality won't necessarily be quite as prevalent? Yeah, quite possibly. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting move anyway, completely out of the blue. I don't think um, anyone had really been talking about it much, and the, the projects that had been going sort of fell by the wayside a couple of years ago, so uh, caught us all on our uh, off guard, really. Right. So I guess if... if the guys who were running those projects are still interested in it, that they'll, with any luck, pick up from where they were going. Um, you know, I can see that if you had a, uh, you know, 
think of all of the VMware appliances that run Linux. If they were able to directly call PowerShell from those appliances, the sorts of things you could do with them uh, would be pretty neat. Yeah, you'd still need, like, WMI and stuff like that. If you were talking to a Windows box, but if you were using a, a an appliance that talks back to Virtual Center, you know, sort of vKernel type thing, but if it, you know, interrogating Virtual Center using PowerShell rather than using the v, uh, vCenter APIs, or well, I suppose that would actually just make it really slow. But I'm sure, you know... <laughs> Yeah, don't let me do but, development, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, whether whether it opens different um, methods for people to achieve, uh, you know, achieve. And who knows how long vCenter will actually only run on Windows anyway? Um, there might be something going on there as well. You you, you never know. Well, uh, speaking of that, I heard some people betaing on on Linux. Uh, you, you probably shouldn't trust everything you hear, but I know people have been asking for a, a Linux vCenter appliance for ages, and you know, I'm sure if, if generally speaking, I think VMware showing that if you ask for something for long enough, you might get it. You know, look how quickly the iPad client came around. Uh, <laughs> Sarcasm. <laughs> it's the lowest <laughs> form of wit I know. Um, although speaking of sort of you know clever clients, um, I actually got a chance to um, play with my first thin client the other day. I, I realise this is technology that's a good 15 years old, but uh, you know, I was impressed because I'd never really used one before. Um, we, we got hold of uh, one of the, the Cisco's uh, VXC clients at work, and it's a little bit like a, uh, I think they're actually OEM by Wise. But it's clever because it fits in the back of the phone, and you can boot up, and it boots up instantly to a view client. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I was impressed, but it would have been nice to have. There doesn't seem to be much much more you can do with it. There's things that our developers wanted to try and bring some closer integration, but because it, the only integration with the phone is that it sits on top of it physically, and that's it. Um, it's definitely uh, an early product. Yeah, there are other pretty clever clients as well. I mean, the, the uh, Samsung. Uh, displays that has a PC over IP uh, client built into them as well. Really? So, you can get monitors with it? Oh, yeah, yeah. 24-inch yeah. uh, monitor with a PC over IP uh, client in them. So all you need is uh, to connect a, a, a power network, USB keyboard and mouse, and you're up and running in your view environment from the the uh, display on your on your desk. That's pretty cool. I mean, is that much more expensive than a monitor? I wonder, you know, is that the sort of thing you're going to suddenly see on, you know, high density call centers? Who I would have thought would be a fairly good uh, candidate for a, a thin client. Um, are you going to suddenly see them with with those, or are they just going to go out and buy the cheapest bank or Belkin monitor that they they can buy, and then buy a cheap thin client as well, and just deal with having a little bit extra desk uh, desk space taken up? Well, you got to ask yourself, the people who are using thin clients in the first place, who cares about their eyes? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is true. They, they, they are kind of at the bottom of the ziggurat in terms of the technology. Um, if you use a thin client or a board level, please ignore that comment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, there is, it opens up a lot of opportunities, though. I mean, if, if, if you can put a small... PC over IP 
a client into something that's already on your desk, being it in a in a in your monitor display or in your phone or in your desktop drawer for that matter. It, it doesn't really matter. You, you get the connectivity you need if you have that kind of environment. So building those into the uh, the actual hardware you buy anyway makes makes a lot of sense to a lot of people, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose it, it's an extra thing to put in, into that case for VDI. I know sort of VDI seems to be an ever-recurring topic these days. Um, and I don't know whether people are still searching for that perfect use case um, where they can deploy VDI to thousands upon thousands of clients. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's a much harder sell than, I think, potentially vendors would have us think yeah, it, it, as every consultant will say it, it depends anyway so it, it, it's highly uh, dependent on what yeah. your environment is anyway well, one of the big arguments that um, I, I hear is that if you're going to be using VDI why not use Citrix and not necessarily using Citrix's answer to VDI but you know traditional server based computing um, I know there are there's, there seems to be a few arguments as to why you want someone to have their own isolated session, but I've not seen that many applications that, that do it. Um, Jonathan, I seem to remember you did a nice presentation on Citrix at a, a London VMware user group a while ago. Yeah, um, we're a com- complete uh, Citrix shop at our place. Um, the sort of ninety five percent of that connection devices are. Um, wise terminals or um, I don't know if you've seen them they're laptops they're sort of uh, thin client laptops which don't um, we ship them out with a 3G card but they pretty much just have a web browser so you can connect connect in Um, so yeah we're I haven't seen any of those uh, devices you were talking about that sounds pretty interesting but um yeah, the presentation I did was actually about um, moving data center, and it had one half slide mention of how we virtualize Citrix, and afterwards that's all anyone wanted to talk to me about. <laughs> Not the actual uh, sort of fifteen-minute, twenty-minute presentation. <laughs> that's what Chris remembers as well. So it has to be the takeaway point. <laughs> uh, I do. I do remember the the data migration as well. Um, you know, when I did my uh, speech. It, it was, you know, partially the um, the inspiration for it because of thinking of all the challenges that you had, and you were only moving devices, you know, less than a hundred meters, um, whereas I was having to move them like thousands of miles. Um, and you know, the challenges, you know, still had challenges that were just very different sorts of challenges. Yours were how can you get it through the door? Mine was how can I get it through customs? Um, <laughs> So yeah, you know, it was it was interesting stuff. But yeah, well, so we were pick up on the Citrix. Yeah, we, we were moving data center, but um, to buildings kind of about five hundred meters apart, and uh, it was deliberately designed to be a smaller data center than our existing one, so that we would virtualize as much as possible, decommission as much as possible prior to to moving in there. And in fact, um. The, the first, well, I'd not long started in the job and had done some vSphere type admin before. It's a few years ago now. And my actual, my first virtualization project was 
uh, virtualizing Citrix, which prior to joining there, I'd heard various people say, no, you can't do, it doesn't work, um, we can't get it to work, whatever. And um, I ended up getting the project because it was one of those in the right place at right time or wrong place at wrong time. Some guy just left who was going to be doing the project and they were like, oh, you've just joined, you've got the you've got the VCP, you can do this. So um, not knowing a lot about uh, Citrix, it was quite an interesting project to have dropped on your on your door. But um, luckily, a lot of the, the planning had already been done. And um, most of it was really around the what configuration you would give to the Citrix VMs. And we did a lot of testing with some of the automated tools to see what kind of performance you would get out of out of running VMs on on vSphere. um, Stuff like disable the balloon driver, you know, the common stuff you hear. Yeah, that kind of thing. And also like just what how many CPUs to give each VM and how many to run on each server and how much memory to give them. My answer on CPUs to any user is always as little as possible. Yeah, but I guess when you're virtualizing a terminal server, effectively, with, when you virtualize a Citrix server like that, you know, terminal servers traditionally are going to be very multi-threaded because they're going to have multiple users connecting to them, using them, you know, as an endpoint. Yeah. So the, um, one of the real pain points they had when running on physical was um, they would get a rogue process, typically Internet Explorer, which. Um, Particularly if you go, someone's running flash. up hot, Hotmail, yes, and they have a, a Flash advert running in a terminal server. It, it locks up the, or can lock up the whole box for every other user on there. So what we actually managed to do was um, we um, initially for that project, and still the same, we used dedicated um, VMware servers for... Um, running the Citrix VMs, and we ran it. We saved an absolute ton of money by running it on local storage. So we didn't use things like HA or DRS because that kind of comes via the application. So you know, if you get kicked out of your Citrix desktop session, there's not really much point of um, you know if the hardware's gone in the the server, there's not really much point restarting the 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 VMs on other servers, you just let them reconnect back into to other VMs running elsewhere. So we could run it on at the time what was called foundation license. It's now standard, and uh, that turned out to be quite a decent solution. And we reduced our physical Citrix um, environment running desktop from over a hundred physical servers down to about. 30 so that was quite a good um consolidation ratio for moving into this new data center yeah well i suppose some might say that you know a three to one consolidation ratio even for a few years ago wasn't that much but you didn't go out and buy massively expensive hardware for your hosts though did you though no it was really it was um uh it was the the twenty nine fifty range at the time Dell twenty nine fifties and I wish yep. it was pretty much what they were buying running on anyway, and so we could increase the number of users per physical server went up from about sixty 
to I think somewhere around 130, 140 and you know there would be people after that presentation tell, saying they didn't believe me that we could get that many on there but by running four, four VMs on there and the sweet spot we found there was, was two C vCPUs each um, you eliminated a lot of the the process hogging and um, they actually got better performance out of it as well what we've done since is um, there wasn't a lot of information about it at the time there's now I don't know if you guys know there's um, a great website called Project VRC oh, the name rings a bell yeah and um, there's an absolutely fantastic document on there when they did a whole load of testing running terminal services and Citrix on different hypervisors and, you know, which platform came out best, running it against physical. This is all um, the 32-bit version of, of Citrix, obviously. And We're, um, we're talking Citrix Senap, right? Just to yeah. clarify. Uh, yeah, that absolutely. That, that every everything we're talking about in regards to Citrix, that's Senap, the the old terminal services or MetaFrame stuff. Yeah, so we yeah. the initial project was version four, um, running on yeah. two thousand and three, and since then, um, we've uh, done another project where we um, upgraded to Zenap five on two thousand and eight, and we managed to get some new hardware into that, the the Dell R710s with the more modern processor than the Halim processor. And the the amount of users we can now get on a box absolutely went through the roof going from that box, from the 2950 to the to this newer box. We've gone up to like pushing 400 desktop users. Well, that's quite a few users. Uh, are you still going for a local storage uh, yeah still local design. storage non-clustered um, obviously saves a lot on the licensing because you know th there's not really a whole lot of point because um, these are dedicated purely for Citrix there's not a whole lot of point w with the way the application works in in you know using some of these expensive features cool I mean it, it sounds a little bit like um the, there's a VDI product which is designed on local storage called Kavisa and I think they do some clever sort of replication of, of images to give you a, like a grid but it's, it's all a grid of you know, non-failing over desktops the point being that if you get kicked off you, you restart your desktop on another host um, and that's all around the local storage and there again pitching that they're going to save you a lot of money on a VDI deployment because you've got no SAN you can put fast you can put ridiculously quick disk if you really wanted to you could put this SSD in um, and you know because it's all sorts of, you link clone technology so you don't need that, a massive amount of storage on the hosts um, and you can also use the base licensing you can either go for essentials if you're only got three hosts, which is what five hundred dollars, um, or I think they it'll even run on Zen, and it will run on the free version of Zen. So you can have a VDI deployment for next to nothing. Well, it sounds well. I say next to nothing. You're still going to be buying some fairly, fairly expensive to to use servers, but uh, you know it's a lot cheaper than that if you had to buy some shared. You know the the more feature rich versions of your hypervisor and some shared storage and things like that 
Um, so unfortunately, you know, while storage vendors would love you to be clustering everything, as as you points, rightly pointed out, I don't think it's it's always needed. Um, I came up against a similar thing last week, and I, I had a little bit of a rant on Twitter about it. Um, I looked at the requirements from Cisco for putting their unified comms stuff on a VM, and it's the most strict vendor requirements I've seen in my entire life. If you've got a Cisco unified comms VM on a host, no, nothing else apart from Cisco unified comms VMs can be on that host. Not virtual center, nothing. Um, you can't overcommit anything. Can't overcommit RAM, CPU, network, or storage. So no thin provisioning. And you know, I and I got pretty riled about it when I first saw the design. I thought this is ridiculous. We're you know buying loads and loads of servers. We don't need it. Um, but then got to think about it. Well, if you've got redundancy at the app provided by the application, failover provided by the application, whatever that application is. You don't really need shared storage. Um, okay, you're probably going to be paying a bit more for your application licensing because they'll probably make you license it twice for your standby server. But otherwise, that's probably a bit cheaper than buying a SAM. Yeah, but it depends on how hardcore the app is you're running. Saying you know, without saying you need need shared storage or not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean. This, it's also my first sort of foray into real-time applications, so voice applications, which I suppose I've been spoiled. I've only ever been given easy workloads to virtualize, and, you know, web servers and application servers, and I still think SQL is actually not massively difficult load to virtualize. Maybe it's because you know, I'm used to running SQL servers, so they're whilst they are beasts, they could, they're beasts that I understand how to tame. Yeah, it depends but, on depends no voice totally. it's, and it's crazy. Yeah, I know you've been dealing with some seriously hardcore uh, database servers. Yeah, we have a, a six terabyte SQL server. Yeah, I mean that. That's. I I would suggest that, that is fairly atypical for most people's SQL databases, but uh, <laughs> six terabytes. Forty thousand IOPS peak. Whoa. <laughs> Forty thousand IOPS. Yeah. Peak. Um. I mean, speaking of local storage, uh, I mean... Uh, Seriously, dude, that's a lot of IOPS. <laughs> <laughs> if I was dude, where's there, my IOPS? <laughs> Sweet. Uh, but, but speaking seriously, though, speaking of local storage, uh, at the, uh, uh, the, the VMware Forum uh, conference, or whatever I should call it, I attended in Oslo, which I was uh, <clears throat> somewhat critical of on my blog, um, the Fusion I.O. guys showed some integration and some stuff they're doing together with HP. Oh, they in, in, in between trying to get you to buy stuff, right? Uh, yeah, and misspelling <laughs> VMware and misspelling vCenter and bragging about how HP loves VMware and vice versa, and they can't even spell the names correctly. But uh, <laughs> that's part of my online rant. Uh, the Fusion IO stuff is, if that works the way they are demoing it and showing it off, that's pretty darn immensive as far as local storage goes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something like a million IOPS, isn't it? Yeah, they're claiming they can do a million IOPS to local storage through that thing. You know, you know what? That's that's uh, for me. That's really hard to believe. 
Yeah, it is. But Lars Lars Treer from Indonesia did a write up uh, about some of the stuff they were claiming on the uh, the uh, the uh, on, in in the actual conference. I met up with him there, uh, so he, I, I'm going to link to him uh, in the uh, the show notes. But actually, what what they were doing uh, on in the uh, in their stand, they were actually doing 222 Windows XP VMs, uh, linked clones, of course, but on a single Fusion IO drive, and they were constantly <laughs> generating load, rebooting them, and whatever. And it, it was pretty amazing. I, I thought they were showing off a video, but they claimed they weren't doing that. So. What they're doing is actually cloning 10 VMs on Fusion IO took 202 seconds. So what exactly is the magic behind it? Flash. flash. Oh, of course, a big fatty flash. Um, a lot of cache. big fat flash cash on yes. the yes. card no, itself. absolutely no spinning anything on it. Nope. It's just a card with a lot of silicon. Yeah. Uh, but, it's, you know, I guess that is it's a pretty individual use case because they're not cheap um you know you can buy a sand for the price of one of these cards yeah the smallest one I, i'm i'm not going to go into pricing of these things but I, uh, but, but as far as i can remember uh the the uh smallest one of the cards weren't actually that expensive so if you're looking into a uh a, a, a small scale kind of edi environment thing uh Doing that on a Fusion IO card instead of doing it on a uh, RAID set of local storage, uh, I think that might actually be be doable. Yeah, no, that sounds sounds certainly doable. So, where does the flash cache uh, reside? It's on the actual IO card itself. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's it's just literally a PCI card with the innards of SS of Enterprise. SSDs on top of it. Yeah. Reminds me of some Sun products I've seen in the past. Yeah, they were probably eaten by Oracle somewhere, so we're never yeah. going to see them again anyway. Completely, and they've, yeah, they've, they're in the abyss now. No. Yeah. Stuck in a yacht somewhere, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, well, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to look into the Fusion IO stuff uh, because the, the HP has taken the Fusion IO card and turned it into a blade plug-in card, mezzanine card for their blade systems, which means you'll, you'll have a, a, a really flash, a quick flash uh, local storage on directly attached to a blade in, inside the blade centers. So that, that looks interesting. I suppose you could then combine that with some virtual storage appliances if you wanted to share that out. Yeah, uh, sure. And you know, potentially provide your own virtual high-tier Storage, um, you know, sort of network bound, but, but uh, here's just one thought I had. Instead of flash, why wouldn't you just use a shitload of memory? That's basically what it is. Um, it, it, yeah, it's well, just solid state. Ramsans, isn't it? Is that, yeah. Is that what they use? Or was the Ramsan actually use battery backed memory? I think they use uh, uh, actual flash drives and not memory sticks but or, me- or actual memory chips but uh, I mean whatever works but 
and here, here's another thing. Just my thought about Flash is um, with memory. Memory doesn't get slower as you write to it. Nope. Flash, Flash does. does. Yeah, that they actually Fusion IO actually have a twenty percent overhead uh, on their storage. So there is also there is twenty percent more capacity than you're actually seeing. And it'll dynamically switch out the bits that are getting slower and uh, overwritten many times, and it's kind of self-healing in a way. But but it's it's not. It, at some point, you will run into the uh, the problems with overriding the same sectors, the same blocks several times, and getting into issues with that. That sounds pretty good. Um, so. Uh, who's decided to uh, apply to be a uh, V expert then? <coughs> huh? You say say what? <laughs> a, a V what? Oh, well, never, when um, you uh, when you cleared your throat, that sounds how you normally talk, Christian. No offense, but uh, for the first time of my life, I'm speechless. Seriously, <laughs> I've I never been so insulted in my life. <laughs> oh, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I did fill out the uh, the uh, the application form. Yeah, yeah. I did. There's, there was a few murmurings about whether um, the uh, award certif well, it's not a certification, is it? Whether no. it, it's got less value in it that now that you have to apply for it. Um, and I, one particular person, I, I don't recall exactly who it was, was uh, adamant that they weren't going to apply for an award if they wanted to. Give him the the award. They you know they they should just grant it to him. Uh, he, yeah. he should shouldn't be needing to apply for it. So I don't know if that devalues it. Um, and the only other really sort of parallel that you can draw between the V expert, uh, you know, and other uh, lines of business is is the uh, the Microsoft MVP or Most Valued Professional. I think that's the, the term. Um, which I believe uh, Jonathan is actually a uh, one of the lucky members. Yes, that's correct. Um, since uh, last year, and uh, I was renewed this this year, I was um, awarded the um, Microsoft MVP for PowerShell. So they have um, that award program, which is pretty similar to to the V Expert program, I guess. Um, it's been pretty well established for quite a long time. Um, in fact, one of the the other PowerShell MVPs has been an MVP in something or other for about 15 years so um but uh, I, I think it's great just to have these programs generally um you know we all do this sort of thing like podcasts blogs etc in our own time because we're particularly you know interested passionate about the stuff that we do and no one really goes out looking to to get these awards but it, it's nice to um you know get some recognition the stuff that you do and um you know i i the the microsoft program is is pure nomination so you have to be nominated by um usually either by someone who works for microsoft or someone who's already an mvp and there's a fairly um rigorous procedure they go through evaluating people about three or four times a year to uh, give these things out, so um, but I, I just think it's great that they do actually do them in the the first place, and you know you can go picking holes in in each of the the different programs. But um, 
you know however you get get there in the end it's great that they do you know recognize the stuff people are doing but so you you didn't have to apply for it as it were it was no so no i don't think you can't apply you have to uh, there is some um, you can publicly be nominated um via the the mvp website you know if I, you or I think someone else is, you know, should get one. You can go and fill out a form there, and, and they will do that. But from what I've seen, it, it typically m more seems to happen from if you've had a bit more of a weighty nomination behind you. Um, and yeah, I then, guess if Steve yeah. Bowman nominates you, you've got a fairly good chance of. Uh, yes, and that's what happened for me. <laughs> Steve phoned you up. <laughs> yeah. Um. Got like yeah. little animated ringtone so, for him of him dancing around your phone screen. <laughs> no, it's just shouting developers. <laughs> so I, I didn't realise that it wasn't a um, it wasn't uh, a nominated thing. The V expert that you have to apply for it. It's it's, uh, it's it's both actually. Uh, as far as I know, I, I I haven't been involved with this at all before. Uh, or at least I think I have, have hadn't been, but it turns out I've, someone has nominated me before without me knowing it. But uh, what happens now is that if you get nominated now, you get a, an email from, from VMware uh, telling you to fill out the application form, uh, which is basically the same application form you get to fill out if you want to just apply for it yourself or nominate yourself or whatever. Uh, I, I don't know how... how how they've handled that before, but that's what happened this year, at least. Yeah, I myself was nominated, and I wasn't going to do anything about it because I don't feel like I've done very much this year. But I kind of, after the nomination, I've kind of forced myself to fill it out. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's, it seems they do um, award, make the award to a few hundred people each year. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a good good chance for people who've contributed, and it's it's a great way of recognising the contribution that people have made. And it's interesting that, as far as I can tell, only Microsoft and, and VMware are the only people doing it. I, I tried to explain what the VExpert was to a colleague of mine, and so I tried to, I, I looked for a Cisco parallel to it. But, um, yeah, I couldn't find a suitable parallel. There is a, a Citrix equivalent one, Chris. Did you know that? No, no, I, I, because I was sort of just googling for you know community award type thing, and it, it didn't pop up. Um, yeah, it's called the CTP, and there there are a few rare people who have got all three. Wow, that, that's like <laughs> collecting all the wedges in Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's even better than all the Foursquare badges. That's a lot of badges. It, it, it becomes sort of Pokemon for communities at some point, doesn't it? <laughs> I get them all. But uh, yeah, no, no, all, all the best luck to anyone that's uh, applied, been applied for it. Um, I've, I'm sure it will will go well. Um, I don't think the experts don't quite currently get their own conference like the MVPs do, uh, which does sound like quite a quite a cushy reward. Um, that was it. Is it the MVP Summit, I believe? That's right. So 
Um, every year there's a, the, what they call the MVP Summit. So you're invited over to Redmond and they have a conference for two or three days and all the MVPs are invited over there. So um, you have like some, you'd like your typical conference and general sessions, but the best thing is you get to spend a couple of days with the product team um, for the, you know, the products you're involved with. So you get to, uh, you know, harangue and meet the people who are, who are making the product, you're doing them and, you know, feeding back to them and getting that interaction, which was, which was brilliant. And, you know, the V-Expert thing is, is new, and I wouldn't give it too, too hard a time. It, it's going to mature, and, you know, it's, um, it's only been going, what, two or three years? Yeah, I believe it's in its third year. Yeah, so it's going to naturally get better over the years as they, you know, refine the process and, and give out benefits and, you know, whatever, so... Yeah. Good luck to anyone who's applying for it. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how that evolves. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's, it's it, as Chris said, it's it's great that the uh, the companies uh, actually do that kind of thing and recognize the uh, the the community surrounding them, uh, doing a lot of the uh, the legwork actually for them in many cases. So it's uh, it's great to see. VMware and see Microsoft and Citrix even doing that uh, kind of outreach program or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing more uh, companies doing the same thing and trying to tie in the the uh, the community in in, in in sort of in a in a closer relationship by doing stuff like that. So, as far as I'm concerned, both the V expert and the VM. Uh, MVP stuff is is pure win win for both customers and clients and and uh, the vendors themselves uh, as well. Yeah, I, I guess you know if you've got a strong community, they they're everything from you know product evangelists to beta testers, you know to almost the uncommissioned paid sales force. Um, being very cynical about it, you know taking taking it that it's most of the mercenary. Uh, that you've got these people that you're not actually having to invest a whole lot of money in recognizing their ability um, but and the potential benefits for you as a vendor could be massive I'd like to finish off the show by um, giving something away and I believe uh, Jonathan has uh, provided a copy of the uh, Power CLI book uh, written by himself Alan, Luke and others um, and has got a question for you to answer Jonathan over to you yes that's right Chris so um, we'd like to give a, a copy away to one of your loyal listeners so all they need to do um, we have a little question for them is let you let if they can let you know what is Alan Renouf's true nationality <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of speculation and debate about it but I have the real answer so um if they send you answers on a postcard or more modern means, yep, uh, postcard or a uh, if if you follow the um, VC underscore podcast Twitter account and send your answer in by direct message, uh, then we will announce the winner. Great stuff, and uh, just a couple of things I would could uh, squeeze in at the end of the show. We get a lot of questions about 
availability of the book and Kindle version and stuff like that. And um, I'm constantly firing them out <laughs> on Twitter. But um, so a couple of quick things, if I may, the, the book is paperback is available on Amazon and it's now available in the UK. There's a was quite some delay, which seemingly is normal for books um, on Amazon in the US before they're in other regions. So that was about four weeks, but that's available now. And then it's there is Americans a head start, by the way. <laughs> oh, I couldn't possibly comment. And also um, the Kindle version, or there are other. Um, I think we have an uh, an EPUB version of it as well. That was available, but unfortunately we didn't get to, whilst we proofread every chapter and everything that went into the paperback version, when it first came out in the Kindle version, some of the, when it got translated into that uh, format, some of the code got messed up and got, we had quite a few uh, negative comments about that so that it, it's currently they pulled it from the Kindle store whilst the publisher goes and goes and fixes that but that should soon be available available again um, we also get loads of questions about uh, why is the Kindle version more expensive than the paperback which you probably might have wondered that yourself um, it's, to me it seems completely bonkers but um, We've been back to the uh, publisher and we've been to Amazon and Amazon say um, the publisher sets the pricing, the publisher says Amazon set the pricing, so, you know, what you make of that, uh, I don't know, it just seems a bit crazy that the paperback version is cheaper than uh, the Kindle, but that seems to be the same with quite a lot of other technical books apart from a famous yellow self-published one. Yeah, I like, I like a nice paperback book to put in my bookshelf. I'd like both. I, th I think it'd be, it'd be nice if you could get, you know, a dual-format version um, that would give you, you know, give you at least access, temporary access to the Kindle version simply because, you know, I can always carry it with me, whereas books tend to get left at home and they're heavy in bags and all sorts of girly excuses. Um, <laughs> oh, it's heavy. Exactly. I might, it might chip my nails on it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and orange just doesn't go with this outfit, sweet. Um, so, yeah, there we have it. Publishing, it's officially bonkers. Um, so, Jonathan, thanks ever so much for coming on. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. Um, and uh, I shall hand it over. Well, thank you very much for uh, inviting me on. Uh, as I said, I, I enjoy listening to your show and uh, keep up the good work. Keep getting the, the shows out and uh, thanks again. Um, thanks again for uh, listening to this episode of VSU Podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at, at VSUP underscore podcast or www.vsoup.net. And see you next time. Thank you. And if you don't follow us, we'll probably send you a cheese hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>